that's that's kind of oh oh this I, okay I was I'm like people don't normally laugh when I walk into I say something and then they laugh that makes me feel good but when people laugh at me this so I've been getting a number of comments lately on my normal uh, choice uh, of fashion and attire apparently uh, one too many plaid shirts so I thought I would just change it up a little bit today right be a little different are we that's okay right is it good we did all right all right who cares uh, we don't, we're not here for fashion, right? We're, we're here because uh, like we know a God who loves us a ton, right? And we want to talk about that today. Matter of fact, we are uh, just started a series uh, last week called Ugly Faith. And this morning, uh, we're going to jump into that series as well. There's going to be a number of verses that pop up on the screen, but there's going to be a section of this morning where uh, the verses won't be on the screen. And so if you have a Bible with you, it'd be great for you to pull that out, or if you uh, didn't remember it this morning, or it's in the car or something, you can feel free to grab one of those Bibles in the pew back in front of you, but, but um, that would be probably great to have, or an electronic version. If you use version or you've downloaded a Bible, uh, that's great. I know Rick earlier asked you to pull out the North Point app. That's great. There's going to be some fill-ins. Some of the verses will be there, but we are going to do a little bit of story time in a couple of minutes, and, uh, and you'll want a Bible for that because you'll want to see kind of where... Uh, we're headed, what we got out of that, it'll make some sense when we get there. So, all that to say, by way of intro, we are in a series called Ugly Faith, coming from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about these men and women who were uh, examples or models of faith. Matter of fact, if you are in the app or in the Bible, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll just jump right into where we're going this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of things that we don't see. It's interesting because in this whole chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the word faith is used over and over again. Nearly every paragraph starts with the two-word combination of now faith or by faith, or uh, faith, or because faith. This idea of faith is a huge deal here. It's used 25 times in this chapter. There's only 40 verses in the chapter. It's used 25 times. That's, that's nearly like every one and a half verse has the word faith in it. That's a big, big deal. When we see that, we have to notice that faith is a big deal to God. And a huge piece of this, this moving into a life fully devoted to Christ. Faith is a big deal. Matter of fact, I would say that without faith, I, 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 don't, I don't know how we do this relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, the scriptures tell us without faith, you can't please God. See, faith is this big, huge deal to God, to Jesus, and to us. Uh, we, we did some language work. I did some language th- work this week. The word faith in Greek is the word pistis, and it's going to pop up on the screen there. Or it's in your app. It's the Greek word pistis. It's used about 250 times in the New Testament. That's a huge amount of times. There, there's another form of that word that we usually translate faithful. It's the word pistos, faithful. That's used about another 100 times in the New Testament. And then if you take it with another word, which is a, the verb form of the word faith, which is pisteu, it's the verb form. If we were to Englishize that, maybe we would say faithing. We, we can't do that in our language, but you can in, in Greek. We often translate it believe or committed. It's used about another 250 times. You do the math on that, you get this word faith, this idea of faith. This word is used well over 600 times in the New Testament. 
faith is a big deal to God. So if we paused here, and if we were having coffee, just you and I, I'd ask the question, what does it mean? Like, what does faith mean? If it's such a big deal to God, he uses the word over and over again. There's different forms that it's used. In in just chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's used 25 times. There's a, a whole chapter given over to men and women who were examples of faith. What does it mean? We're not having coffee right now. It might be awkward to try and have a conversation. But just, just sit there for a second. If we were talking, if your kid got out of bed late at night after you put them down, it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and they do that crazy kid thing where they come to you downstairs and they go, Mom, Dad, what's faith mean? <laughs> it's not devotion time right now, honey. Why are we talking about that? Right? You're just trying to get in bed. If they ask that question, like, what would you say to them? What is, what is faith mean? Well, it's interesting because last week Jake did a really great job kicking this off and, and he talked about the concept of faith and he really linked the idea of trust with it and he, he said that we have three fears in that concept of trusting, a fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of the unknown, and faith is the idea of really working against or combating those fears. I think that's a great place to start and today I just want to add a little more to this, this concept that we call faith because it's so rich, it's so huge. And he Hebrews 11.1 gives us some words to put into that mix. The author of Hebrews says that faith is confidence in the things that we hope for. Confidence in the things that we hope for. Do confidence and hope seem like mutually exclusive terms? In other words, do they seem like opposites? Like confidence and hope. Like, well, I, I hope my car makes it to Florida. That doesn't sound very confident right? Sometimes we think of confidence and hope as different things, but I think they're linked together. In other words, it might sound like this, like I've put my hope for future and eternal life in Jesus, and I'm confident that he'll come through on that. It's not like I hope he does, and I have, uh, but it's the idea of I can put my hope in Jesus and have confidence in that as well. It's not a blind hope. It's not the same hope that I have. I have a hope to win the lottery, just so you know. I don't buy tickets, I don't ever buy tickets, but I hope I win it. I don't feel real confident about it, but I keep saying if it's God's plan for my life, then I'll find a ticket on the ground. You're with me, right? See, that, that's the sense of hope with no confidence. It's a stupid hope. It's a blind hope. See, our, our faith, our hope that we put in Christ, it comes with this sense of confidence. And, and the question that we have to ask is how? Well, how can my my hope be rooted in confidence? How can my hope in something that I haven't really seen, how can it be rooted in confidence? And it's interesting because in Hebrews 11, it's like the author pauses right there, leaves that question hanging, and he makes another truth statement. The second half of verse 1, he says, uh, confidence what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Faith is assurance about something that I can't see. That seems a little odd too, doesn't it? Because our, our culture, our American Western culture is so rooted in what we can see and what we can test and what we can verify. And so we might be sort of uh, assured about something we can see. But the author here says that faith is like this assurance of something we can't see. Confidence, assurance in things that we hope for and things that we can't see. How does all that work together? Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 13. 
because he tells some stories, and we'll, we'll get to those in a second, but, but he makes some points here that I want to link together. In verse 13, he says, all these people, the, the, the stories that we heard about Noah last week, we're going to talk about Abraham this week, we're going to talk for the next six more weeks, uh, different characters, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and, and strangers on earth. Everybody listed in this list had faith in something that they didn't see because they died before the thing that they were going to see happen. Now just keep tracking with me for a minute. I know that's really not crystal clear and a little bit muddy in our heads, but the author is saying that, 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 that they had faith in something they didn't yet get to see. Look at verse 39. It says, these were all commended, these, these characters, these people, these, these heroes of faith, these hall of fame of men and women, examples of faith. They're all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. See, all these characters that are reminded here are all characters from the first half of the Bible. We call it the Old Testament. The Old Testament was everything that happened before Jesus was on the planet. There was only one uh, a possibility that the author could be talking about here that all these people were commended for their faith. They had uh, hope in something that they couldn't see, an assurance of something that hadn't happened yet because the focal point was the coming of Jesus Christ. See, that didn't happen when Noah lived. Noah lived and died hoping that something better one day would come. He had a relationship with God. He did the best he could to figure that out. He had faith that God would come through. And really his faith was rooted that one day somebody would come and make it right. Are we kind of together on this? And yet Noah died never seeing that come. But he had faith that somehow God would figure that out. All the characters we're going to talk about were in the same boat. That, that was not a pun, by the way. That was, that, that was coming out of my mouth. I was like, don't, and then I couldn't stop. They were in the same situation. That's much better. That, that, that they hadn't seen the thing that they hoped for. And look at verse 40 because he lands it for us. The author lands it for us in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, since God had planned something better for us, Starting back up in verse 39, these were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God had something better planned for us. See, we live on this side of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And so the question, how can we have confidence in something that we hope for? How do we have assurance of something that we haven't completely seen See, see, at some point, we said yes to Jesus. We said, yeah, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus because he's going to impact my eternity forever and my here and now right now, and I'm going to trust in that. And yet we haven't seen eternity forever. And so sometimes when we lay in bed at night and we say, maybe I'm the only person who does this because I'm not nearly as spiritual as you, but sometimes when I lay in bed at night, I go, what if it's not true? Is, is anybody with me on that? You've ever had that? What if... What if this was all just a waste? What if, what if Jesus doesn't come? And, and my next thought is, oh, man, I'm so crazy. Why? Where did that thought come from? What am I thinking about? That's bananas. And I walk through all the things that I've seen Jesus do here and, and all the things that I've seen Jesus do here and all the things that I've seen Jesus do here. Are we together? And I go, man, that's, that's where my hope comes from. See, I have a confidence in the things that I hope for, and I have an assurance of things that I haven't, haven't seen completely. I've never been to heaven. I didn't go up there and talk to God and then come back and be like, no, guys, it's cool. We'll all be there one day. 
but my assurance can have, can have, can have a, an assurance to it. It can be solid because I, I've seen Jesus. We live on this side of Jesus coming to the planet and doing the things that he said he was going to do. Does this make sense? See, all the people that's talked about in Hebrews 11, they didn't have that benefit. They didn't have the biographies of Jesus. They didn't know uh, how that was going to all play out. It was faith. And now we live on this side of the biographies of Jesus, who he was and all the things that he said he was going to do. And whether you believe that he is who he said he is or not, you cannot argue the fact that Jesus lived on the planet for 30 years. That's historical. You don't have to like it. You can tell me he's not God. That's fine. We can talk about that. You cannot argue the fact that there was not a historical Jesus that lived on the planet, did the things that were in the Bible here. You just can't argue that. We live on that side of it, and that's what brings, I think, power to our hope and power to our assurance. It's still by faith. Because there's a trust element where we say, uh, you know, I, I know myself. I know who I am at my core. And I know when I die, I'm going to stand up there and get to meet God and Jesus eyeball to eyeball. And I'm going to trust that what Jesus said is good enough. I'm going to trust that what Jesus did on the cross and paid for my sins is good enough. I'm going to trust in that. Does this make some sense? I think this is the idea of faith. When it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is confidence, assurance, hope. Those are words that we can add to this, this mix of what it means to have faith. Jake brought it to trust last week. I would add these three words as well as we begin to wrap our heads around what does this mean. All right, we want to look at an example today. Hebrews 11, look at verse 8 for a second. We just want to look at one example of, of faith. This is what it says in verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, and were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Starts talking about Abraham. Now, if we were Jewish, like this would, we'd be like, whoa, I love Abraham. He's my favorite. I got all his trading cards, right? I got them all in my pocket right now with the bubble gums. Because as Jewish kids, we would have been raised on these stories of these individuals. Like Abraham, we would know exactly what that meant and all those pieces. But I don't, I don't know. I'm not Jewish. Most of us in here probably aren't Jewish. And so we don't know these histories as well. So this is story time. I want to talk through this a little bit. Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just hang with me. Uh, uh, we'll, make it, uh, we'll make it short. We'll make it fun. But if you have a Bible, I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 12. This is the story of Abraham. Because Hebrews tells us he went to a place. When told by God to go, he went. And he's an example of faith because of it. Here we go. Abraham, the example of faith. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1. It says, And then the Lord said to Abram, You'll notice there's no H in his name at this point. His name is Abram. God changes his name a little later to Abraham. It's okay. It's a whole other story for another campfire. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and curse whoever curses you, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So people who say you can't teach old dogs new tricks, well, not this guy. 
He took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all the possessions that they had accumulated and all the people and he acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at the time the Canaanites were living in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. And Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Here's the point. God said, Abraham, leave everything you know. Leave everything you know, all your friends, your business contacts, the place where you're living. Pack up everything and head out, and I'll let you know where you're going on the way. And Abraham said, okay. <laughs> that's, that's faith, isn't it? God, I trust you. I trust where you're going to take me to go. Okay, I'll go there. And he does it. Fantastic. Okay, uh, chapter 12 still, uh, verse 10. I don't know if this is a couple hours later, a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, uh, but it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Aww, isn't that sweet? I know what a beautiful woman you are. And she's thinking, Oh, God, you've given me such a wonderful husband. He's so kind and sweet. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, hey, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Oh, not so romantic all of a sudden. You get it? Abraham's cruising through the land. He knows he's married to an attractive woman. He says, man, when we get into Egypt, the guys are going to be like, ooh, look at her, and they're going to kill me so they can have you. So I got a great idea. Seem like a lot of options at this point, doesn't it? Before he says the next thing. I got a great idea. Tell him you're my sister so that I will be treated well because of you. You see that? Verse 14 says, When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abraham uh, well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. Just seems wrong, doesn't it? Uh, maybe because it's wrong. <laughs> we'll continue on. It says, but the Lord afflicted serious disease on Pharaoh because God is faithful and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham and says, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you just tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife, and now then here's your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave orders to Abraham and his men and sent her on their way and his wife and gave him everything they had. This is the example, Abraham, of great faith. Who, when God said go, he went until. <laughs> what an ugly faith, Right? There's no way to get around this story. There's no way to, to, to explain away what Abraham did here. It's just stupid <laughs> and sick and wrong. Chapter 13, we get this interesting story because they apparently, I, I don't know how you work that out as husband and wife, but they moved on. And I don't know if it's some weeks or days or months later, but in verse 5 it says, Now Lot, that's uh, Abram's nephew, was traveling and uh, moving about with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents, but the land couldn't support uh, when they all stayed together for the possessions were so great and they were not able to stay together. A quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanite and Perizzites were also living in the land at the same time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine for close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. 
If you go right, I'll go left. This is interesting because there's a couple weird things going on. Number one is uh, uh, they're in a desert. There's not lots of great places to take your herds that are going to be lush and full of grass and water and kind of stuff. And so Abram is rolling the dice a little bit. He's risking something here because he gives Lot the opportunity to choose which way Lot wants to go. The other thing that's weird is that Abraham is breaking culture at this point. Because in that culture, and it makes sense to us, I mean, the older guy would get to choose. The guy who really helped Lot make his fortune, he would be the one who gets to choose. Wright says Abraham gets to choose which way he's going to go, and Lot has to make the best of it. So Abraham does this thing, strange thing where he gives Lot the ability to choose. And in verse 10, this is what happens, no surprise. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities and the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. Lot looked and saw and said, that's beautiful and green. I'm going that way. And Abraham said, okay, no problem. This is faith, right? He's trusting that somehow God's going to take care of him. God will work it out. Are, are you with, like, this making sense? So, like, like, two weeks ago, God said go, and he went, and he's like, faith. And then a week later, he was like, tell him you're my sister. Uh, and then now, you know, he's like, hey, God will work it out. You go which way you want to go. It'll be fine. Are you, are you seeing this too? I, I, wanna, I want you to see the ping pong match going on here. Chapter 14, uh, let's just look at subheadings for a minute. We can move quicker. That's the big, bold words there. Chapter 14, if you have those, it says Abram rescues Lot. Lot gets get captured by some kings. It's kind of a funny story. And Abraham takes his little guerrilla warfare team, and they go in, and they beat up all these kings, and they rescue Lot and all the people. It's a great story. You should read it at some point. Total trust, total faith that God is going to work it out. Didn't even think twice about it. We get to chapter 15. Chapter 15 is fantastic because God shows up and says, Abram, Abraham, I'm going to be your God, and your people are going to be my people, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a little tiny mark on yourself so that that will separate you from, and your people, and my people, from every, all the other peoples. That little tiny mark was cutting off a little piece of flesh in the, and so Abraham says, no problem. Matter of fact, that day at 99 years old, Abraham circumcises himself and all the males in his household. Oh, what a Saturday, right? Total faith. Total faith, God, you say you're going to do this. I trust you. We're doing it. I'll come in on the covenant, right? And, and, so, and so then God renews his covenant with Abraham, and it's cool. And we get to chapter 16, and I know it says Hagar and Ishmael. We've got to skip that till next week because that really involves Sarah's, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, a little bit too. So we'll get 16 next week. And then chapter 17, sorry, I skipped ahead. This is where Ab Abraham has trust in God and circumcises himself and all the other guys. Holy moly. Chapter 18, it says three visitors, these angels, show up. And this is like sort of faith. Because once Abraham recognizes their angels and they say, yeah, we're going to go destroy the city that your nephew's living in, he's like, oh, and he barters with them and says, what if you find 50 people who are righteous? Will you not do it for that? And they go, sure. He goes, well, I don't really have a lot of faith there's 50. How about 40? Sure. How about 30? Okay. There's pretty bad. How about 20? We'll do it for 20. We'll spare the town for 20. What about 10? Would you do it for 10? So Abraham has like this whole barter system where like it's half faith and not faith and I don't know. And so we're a couple of months into the journey where it's like, go, I'll go. You're my sister. No faith, right? And you think, okay, he's learned his lesson. And so we get some faith and some episodes with Lot and circumcision. Then we get to this thing where it's like half faith and, and, and that kind of moves along. And we get to chapter 19 and we got some destruction and jump over to chapter 20. And we'll be done with this at chapter 20. Verse 1 says, Now Abraham moved on from there 
into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. You go on, you read the story. It's the same episode again. Like Abraham didn't learn his faith lesson in Egypt. So Abimelech takes her to be his wife. She takes him to the, he takes her into the palace, whatever. And, and God's faithful when people aren't. And, and, and Abimelech and his whole crowd get afflicted with disease. And God somehow reveals to this pagan nation, this pagan king, that Abraham was a liar. And so they confront Abraham and they say, man, why did you do that? Why didn't you just tell us she was your wife? Why did you lie about it? And Abraham says something like, well, I was afraid. And I'm getting a lot of camels here. And, and you're just going, what on the planet? This example of faith the example that Hebrews chapter 11 uses of faith. The reality is Abraham had faith. The story is that it was just really ugly. Do you see that? I mean, Abraham had faith. It wasn't like he was faithless or, or uh, I don't know, however you want to describe that. He had faith. It was just really real. <laughs> it was just really ugly faith. In other words, it was broken, pieced out, sometimes hot, sometimes not real faith, ugly faith. And this, to me, is so encouraging. Because if a guy who lies about his, his wife being his sister can be considered an example of faith, like, maybe there's a shot for me. Make sense? Like, if he's a guy that God says, you know what, that's a guy with faith. Man, maybe there's hope for me. See, here's the deal with this whole list of people in Hebrews 11. They all had faith, but all their faith was totally ugly. It was raw, broken, flawed, tenuous, fragile, which is one of the ways that we know the Bible was not just written by people to write some good stories. Because if I wrote a religion, like if I were going to start a religion, I would not put the story in here. I would not include Abraham as an example of faith because the guy doesn't make us look good, Right? It, 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 it comes back to like truth of the scripture because these people are real. They're just like you and I. It, 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 the, the list is just full of mess. It, it wasn't a pretty faith. It was beat up, half used, nearly empty, but at the same time so beautiful. And God, I think, honors that kind of faith. There, there was this great moment in Jesus' ministry with his guys where, where the disciples went out and they had this whole ministry failure. Like they failed epically. And they came back and Jesus and them are processing it. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 17. We've, I know many of us have heard this before, but he says this. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. And we hear that verse and we focus on the mountain. We're like, oh, I want to move mountains. <laughs> That's the wrong focus. I think the focus is on the tiny faith. Like the mustard seed isn't the tiniest of seeds, but it's a tiny little sort of insignificant seed that has tremendous power in it. Because the multiplication effect of the size of bush that comes out of the tiny little seed is like crazy. Right? I think Jesus is focusing on that little faith. He says, it's so, it, how do I want to say this? If you have just little faith, that's that's good lean into that like take take after that it's not about the mountain it's about the faith if it's small it's okay start there lean into it ride that small nugget of faith if it's all you know start there 
I don't know, man. Sometimes we spend enough time in church, we hear enough stories of missionaries who gave up everything to go to a place and then lost their whole lives except for that. And it's, that's awesome. Or we hear some of the stories of Abraham, if you're old enough to remember, flannel graph. And Abraham up there, and he went, and then he trusted, and then he obeyed, and then he obeyed some more. And we kind of don't put up the line about the, sister, the wife piece because that doesn't, it's weird. We don't want to explain it to kids. And I don't know. We get this sense that, like, you've got to have this huge faith to be in this journey with Jesus. But it just seems like it keeps coming back to, to, to where you are. Like, if you're in small, you have just a little bit left. Like, lean into that. So, so here's how I want to conclude today, and I'll be done talking. I, I got no idea what's going on in your life. Life change, career change, if you're at odds with family, if you're struggling with finances or addiction or broken relationships or a, a wrangle with the IRS or friends are dumping you left and right, I have no idea what's going on. Tragedy. But could I just ask you that whatever's going on, would you just lean into whatever faith you have left, whatever confidence of a hope, you have love. We just lean into that and see how God matches. Lean into that little nugget of faith that you have left, no matter how ugly it might be. It might sound something like this. God, I have no stinking clue what you're doing here, but I know you, and that's good enough for today. I trust you. I love you. I know you're going to figure this out. So the suit, back, back to the suit. Uh, we look at this, especially the way that I've matched it today for my incredible fashion sense. And we, we look at it, we say, that's kind of ugly. But the truth behind the suit is I borrowed it from a friend of mine. And it was actually my friend's dad's suit. He wore it for, for decades. And then it passed down to my friend. And then my friend's son now wears it occasionally as well. So it might look ugly, but the reality behind this is that there is, there is significance to it. And there's meaning and there's worth, and there's value, and there's usefulness, and it's incredibly functional. It's actually really, really comfortable, to be honest. It has meaning, and there's stories that are contained in it. I don't know, in my head, it was some picture about our ugly faith that matched this. Abraham, an example of ugly faith, faith that was incredibly messed up and broken, but faith that worked nonetheless. So we want to finish this morning. If you just stand, we're going to sing a song and then we'll dismiss.